0: And so we're looking at this concept of the Lord's compassion. This is our third sermon uh, on our series of the compassion of God. Let's stand together, if we can, for the reading of God's word. Joshua chapter number 24 and verse 15 and 16. Let's read these two verses together. All right, ready? Here we go. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. Well, we've looked at uh, two sermons prior to this in this series. The title of this sermon today is Our Compliance behavior, our compliant behavior. We're going to circle back around and talk about this topic of obedience to the Lord, being obedient uh, to God. And we looked at this in our first series, having a, 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 a heart for God, walking with God. We talked about our passion, having a heart that, is, uh, that, that desires obedience. We're going to look at this from another angle today. We're going to talk about why it is, what should motivate us to want to obey the Lord, and it is His Great compassion. We're going to look at the story of Israel and see how they got it wrong and then eventually how they got it right. Let's, let's pray this morning. Lord, help us as we open up your Bible. Uh, Lord, um, uh, as you worked in my heart this week for this message, it became clear that this was to be as much of a Bible study as anything else. So, Lord, help us to uh, Lord, um, understand exactly what your Word teaches on this. And, Lord, help us to leave here determined to be obedient to you and, Lord, to do so for the right reasons. Lord, show us where we have error, sin, transgressed in our hearts. And, Lord, help us uh, to be in line with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I, um, I have the privilege of watching uh, many different parents uh, do their, their job. And uh, there are many different parenting styles. Uh, out there. And uh, some parents uh, are more compassionate and caring uh, and uh, loving toward their children. Other parents are more strict and dictatorial in my way or the highway. All right. Which way is the right way? Well, I don't know that one way is better than the other. All right. Um, Both have uh, pros and cons, but I think the key to parenting is the word balance. Amen. Amen balance. Uh, If you are more of the loving, caring uh, type, you acquiesce uh, to what your child wants, uh, praise God that the Lord gave you a nurturing heart. Uh, But you need to learn how to be firm and when to lay down the rules. And if you are the firm type that that has no problem uh, laying the wood, amen, Uh, swinging the paddle, uh, my way or the highway, then you probably need to learn how to acquiesce at times and, and bend and be a little more caring, all right? Um, my kids uh, unfortunately have two parents who like to lay the wood and, um, there's not, uh, you know, that give and take of a compassionate parent and a hard nosed parent, good cop, bad cop. We're just both bad cops. Amen. And, um, our kids are, uh, they better toe the line or else. And, uh, that's sort of how it works in our house. And we have to work on being more of the caring and loving type. Balance is the key. And I look at God who is our father. And I see a God who has balance figured out in every way. Aren't you glad God doesn't just always swing the paddle every time you step out of line? Right? We'd be blistered if he did. Right? But aren't you glad that God doesn't just let you get away with everything all the time either? That he knows how to punish you. Um, I want to begin with a question this morning to each of us. How much would someone have to do for you in order to win over your full loyalty and total allegiance? How much would someone have to do for you to win over your full loyalty or total allegiance? What would it take for you to say to someone, 100% I will be obedient to you no matter what you ask of me? What would someone have to do to earn that level of obedience out of you? This is our third series, a sermon in our series, about God's compassion toward us. So far, we've looked at our canceled brokenness. Uh, We've looked at, uh, last week, we looked at his constant benevolence. Today, we're revisiting this topic of obedience uh, to God by the title of our compliant behavior. Uh, My proposition to each of us this morning is that God has earned the right for you to obey him no matter what it is He asks of you. Uh, Through His compassions, uh, we are not consumed. Through His compassions, we have salvation from hell. Through His compassions, we enjoy life. Because God has been so good to us, He expects us to serve Him. He expects us to serve only Him. He expects us to serve Him And only Him. God does not want your loyalty split. God does not want you obeying your flesh. God does not want you obeying culture. God does not want you obeying uh, uh, someone who is in contrary to the Lord. No, you ought to obey the Lord. You ought to obey His Word. You ought to obey the authorities that He's put over you as long as they're in line with the Lord. And you ought not to obey anyone else ever. It ought to be 100% total Compliance. Why? Because he has earned the right. He has earned the right. The sermon this morning is going to be more like a Bible study. Uh, so get your fingers ready and uh, be, uh, be ready to turn and look at several passages. All right, we're going to, to take a good look at the nation of Israel and see how generation, uh, rather, see how much compassion God showed them. We'll see an example of a generation who gets it wrong. And then we'll see an example of a generation who gets it right. So let's look at three thoughts this morning out of the Old Testament. As we continue our series about working for God, let us consider the Lord's great compassion toward us as we consider this title, Our Compliant Behavior. Okay, point number one of the message this morning, what the Lord gave Israel. What the Lord gave, He gave compassion. Compassion. Look at Joshua 24 and look at verse number 17. Joshua 24 And look at verse 17. The Bible says, For the Lord our God, He it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, and which did those great signs in our sight, and preserved us in all the way wherein we went, and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drave out from before us all the people, even the Amorites, which dwell in the land. therefore, We will also serve the Lord, for He is our God. Uh, take your Bibles over to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus 3. So in Joshua 24, we find the Israelites at their final destination. Uh, they've left Egypt. They've traveled through the desert. And they wandered around the desert for 40 years as God killed off the older generation. We'll see why in just a moment. The, those 20 and younger, when they left Egypt, uh, uh, rose up to become adults. And they would march into the promised land. God would give them victory over their enemies. They would inherit the land promised to Abraham generations prior Uh, they would settle into that land they would divide it up amongst the 12 tribes and then uh, joshua now is aging Uh, joshua is getting ready to die joshua calls israel to him one last time and he challenges them and says serve the lord with all of your heart obey him do not serve other gods do not follow other gods choose the lord and the israelites say Because of all that God did for us coming out of Egypt to present, we will serve the Lord. But how did Israel get here? Uh, By the way, the Israelites here in Joshua 24 point back at the compassion of God. They point back at all of the good that God had done for them to get them to that point and say, because of this compassion that has been shown us and is continually shown us, we will serve the Lord. Now, where did this compassion toward Israel begin? Look at Exodus. 3 and verse 7 and we read a verse about compassion. Look here. And the Lord said, God is speaking here with Moses, and the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. Here's the compassion for I know their sorrows. We said last week compassion was putting your hurt in my heart. Your hurt in my heart. God had taken the hurt of the Israelites in bondage and had put it in his own heart. God said, I emotionally understand their sorrows. God looked down at his people and saw the whip being cracked across their backs he saw the slavery they were under he saw the abuse they were suffering no doubt the rape of the Israeli women that would happen and the tossing of the Hebrew boys into the ocean that had gone on for years he saw the the, the devastation that was going on the, the abuse the, the pain the violence and God looked down and with I believe with a tear in the corner of his eye he said I know their sorrows God saw them in their place of earth and God gave them Compassion. You say, well, what did God do? Uh, His compassion drove him to action. Well, how did God show that compassion? How was that compassion taken from the heart and put into action? Let me give you an A, B, and a C here. Letter A notice. Moses prepared. Moses prepared. Quickly. Oh, let me just quickly tell you here that Moses was born. Take your Bibles over to Exodus chapter number three, already there. We're going to look at verse one in just a moment. Uh, so Moses is born, uh, to parents who did not want to throw him in the water, in the, in, in the Nile River as they were com- commanded. And as you know, he was placed in a, uh, he was placed in, in, in a bassinet and that bassinet floated, uh, down the Nile River. And as God would have it be, uh, Pharaoh's daughter went down and drew him up out of the water and held him and said, uh, I have found, uh, one of the Hebrew boys and went to dad and convinced dad to let her keep it. And then uh, Moses' mother got to nurse him and, and nurture him until he was weaned. And then he moved into the palace. And then at the age of 40, uh, Hebrews tells us that Moses did not want uh, to uh, uh, he did not want to enjoy the riches of Egypt. He chose rather to suffer with the affliction of his people. He chose his people Israel over uh, Egypt, even though he'd been raised in the palace. And he went out to defend an Israeli man who was being beaten and in the process of defending this Israeli man, he killed uh, the Egyptian and then he fled uh, into the wilderness in order to get away and he's there for 40 years. So at this point now, Moses is 80 years old. He's taking care of his father-in-law Jethro's sheep uh, in the wilderness. Look at verse number 1. Verse number 1 of Exodus 3, now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God. This would be the same mountain where he would get the Ten Commandments uh, several chapters later, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire. And the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside uh, to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses! Moses, so the voice of God is coming from the bush. And he said, Moses said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am God of thy father, and God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Verse 9, Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is coming to me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. God looks down at the Israelites and sees their suffering, and God hurts for them, and God looks throughout, and He finds Moses. Moses who he had prepared since a little uh, little guy Moses who learned uh, how to lead uh, Pharaoh's way for 40 years, and God took Moses to the backside of the desert and put him with sheep and said, you learned how to do it the wrong way under Pharaoh. Let me teach you how to do it the right way under Jethro. You learn how to lead like a king. Now let me help, uh, help you learn how to lead like a shepherd because you're, you're going to need to shepherd my people. And God saw the hurt of His people and He chose Moses to go back And help them. Now, uh, we're going to look at letter B and C in just a moment. Let me make one quick application. It very well could be that God has looked down at your time of hurt and your struggle and your pain and, 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 and circumstances that have caused you to be broken. And God has sent some special person into your life, some brother in Christ, some sister in Christ, who came along at an opportune time to help carry your burden at such a time as this god prepared moses and chose him and sent him into egypt in order to deliver the the israelites from egyptian bondage letter a moses prepared letter b we see pharaoh punished pharaoh punished so moses arrives in egypt and he walks straight into the palace of pharaoh and he says god has sent me here to tell you let my people go, let my people go. And Pharaoh laughs in the face of Moses and Moses throws down his rod and it turns into a serpent and and then uh, 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 Pharaoh's uh, uh, servants throw their rods down and they turn into serpents and Moses' uh, serpent eats all of their uh, serpents and then Moses picks up the serpent again and it becomes a rod and and God has given Moses uh, uh, divine powers in order to be able to prove that he indeed is God's man and God says through Moses to Pharaoh if you don't let my people go you're going to suffer for not doing it so surely uh, lo and behold God sent 10 plagues Ten plagues down on Egypt uh, and, and, and locusts and flies and darkness and, and all of the uh, 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 frogs. Listen, that, that one might be the worst, right? Frogs everywhere. Can you imagine, ladies, waking up and you take the lid off of the flower and a frog hops out? No, thank you, right? And uh, you, you, turn, you go to pull back the curtain on the bathtub and it's filled with frogs. I mean, they're just hopping out everywhere. Um, I would have to check my wife into a loony bin there 's no way she would survive this right, and so all of the plagues that came about boils and sores and a hailstorm and on and on and on and one after another. by the way, back to the frogs, Moses goes into Pharaoh each time uh, that there 's a plague and 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 Pharaoh makes some token agreement that he's going to let God's people go. And then uh, when the plague is taken away, he goes back on his decision. He goes back on his promise. And and when he goes in with the frogs, he says to Moses, he says, One more night with the frogs. One more night with the frogs. I've never understood why he would have said that. Uh, Listen, uh, uh, ask God to take the frogs away after one more night. One more night. You know, some people are so hooked on their sin. And God says, uh, if you'll quit your sin, I'll take away the consequences. And they say, one more night with my sin. Uh, You know, I know the consequences hurt, but one more season. I I want it just a little bit longer. And so ten plagues fell on Egypt, and then the tenth plague was the most deadly. Look at Exodus chapter 12, and look at verse number 29. They've come to the tenth and final plague. And with this plague, God gave everyone ample opportunity to avoid the plague. All they had to do was take a lamb, a firstborn lamb without blemish, and sacrifice it, and take the blood from that lamb and and put it on the doorposts and the blood on the doorposts represent uh, the blood of Christ being applied to our heart if the angel saw the blood the angel of death saw the blood on the doorpost he would pass by and not enter the home but if the blood was not applied to the doorpost the angel would come in and kill the firstborn everyone was told it was announced everyone had opportunity likewise one day the angel of God will come passing by you and if the blood of Jesus is applied to your heart, that angel of death will pass by you and you'll go to heaven. But if you refuse the blood of Jesus to wash away your sins, then my friend, one day you will be condemned to death just as these firstborns were. Look at verse 29. And it came to pass that at midnight the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on his throne and the firstborn of the captives that that was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of cattle. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians and there was a great cry and Egypt, oh, I can't even imagine. For there was not a house uh, where there were, uh, was not one dead. And he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said... "'Rise up and get you forth from among my people, both ye and the children of Israel, and go serve the Lord. "'As ye have said, also take your flocks and your herds, as ye have said, and be gone, be gone, and bless me also.'" Pharaoh, with a dead child in the bedroom, calls Moses and Aaron in and says, "'All right, checkmate, I give up, I lose.'" Take your people and get out of here. I don't ever want to see you again. And bless me on your way out the door. God's people were in slavery. God's people were suffering. God prepared Moses and sent him in. Pharaoh would not let the people go. God punished Pharaoh and punished Pharaoh and punished Pharaoh. Finally, Pharaoh expelled them out of Egypt, ejected them from the land. God was being compassionate on the Israelites. What did the Lord give? The Lord gave compassion. The Lord gave compassion. Letter A, we see Moses prepared. Letter B, Pharaoh punished. Letter C, notice the needs provided. The needs provided. What needs were provided? Well, uh, we're going to look at quite a list here. First notice, they they were offered protection from sunlight and frigid temperatures. They would spend the next many years traveling through a desert. How many of you here have ever spent any time in a desert? Would you raise your hand? If you spent time in a desert, some of you maybe have lived in a desert region. I've been to a desert region a handful of times. And, you know, one thing about a desert is there's not a lot of cloud cover and there's not a lot of rain, right? So there's sand everywhere and it gets really hot during the day and then it gets really cold at nighttime. Not a comfortable place to live, especially without the amenities of air conditioning Well, you know what? Um, I'm thankful for modern inventions of air conditioning and heating. Did you know the first air conditioning and heating system ever installed on planet Earth is found right here in Exodus chapter 13? Look at Exodus 13, verse number 20. We find an air conditioning and heating system put in by God. Look at verse 20. And they took their journey from Succoth and encamped in Etham in the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day. In a pillar of a cloud, there, there's a cloud cover, overcast skies to keep the sun off of them, to lead them the way. And by night, in a pillar of fire, to give them light to go by day and night. So what is going on here? There's a cloud covering them from the sun during the day, and at nighttime, that cloud lit up with fire in order to give them a night light so they could see, and to keep them warm from the cold, frigid temperatures. That is amazing. Can you imagine walking out, looking up, and going, look at that? It is lit up. And it's warm. I wonder if there was a thermostat in the tent to turn it down a couple degrees, right, or up a couple degrees. Verse 22, he took not away the pillar of the cloud by by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Now, real quick here, we are so spoiled Aren't we? I don't like that brand of coffee creamer. I wish they'd get a different brand of coffee creamer at the church. They got flavors, but they don't got my favorite flavor. Right? You know what? This Toyota Camry I drive is nice, but I sure would like a Lexus. Oh, brother. Right? It's nice to have one and a half baths in our house, but you know what? A shower would be nice. A second shower would be nice. We are so spoiled. You know what? God does not just provide our needs. He provides many of our wants. Not only did the Lord provide sunlight and uh, and, and not only did the Lord provide protection from sunlight and frigid temperatures, He took it a step further and He divided the Red Sea. Look at Exodus 14 verse 21. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground, and the waters were a wall upon them on their right hand and on their left, and the Egyptians pursued and went in after them to the midst of the sea, even even all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen. Look down at verse 29. Verse 29. But the children of Israel walked upon dry ground in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall upon them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and, the, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore, and Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians, and the people feared the Lord and believed in the Lord and His servant. Moses, what a miracle, right? We've gone over this many times in church, and many of you are are well aware of this prior to church, but God divided the Red Sea. He brought the Israelites through. He crashed the waters down on their enemies and destroyed them. There was no more Egyptian army to pursue them. They never had to look back over their shoulders uh, because the Lord had provided deliverance from uh, Egyptian captivity Forever. What did the Lord provided? Well, He provided their comfort. He provided uh, the Red Sea divided. Notice um, Exodus fifteen verse twenty three and twenty five. He made the bitter waters sweet. He made the bitter waters sweet. Look, look down at verse twenty three. And when they came to Mara, they could not drink of the waters of Mara for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Mara. And if you've know, done any Bible studies, you know that word Mara means bitter. Look down at verse twenty five. And he cried unto the Lord, Moses, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the water, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statue and an ordinance, and there he provided them. So the Israelites got through the Red Sea just a few miles further. They're thirsty. They need water, and they come to water, but it's not drinkable. It's bitter water. God commands Moses, throw a tree in there. And God threw, or Moses threw a tree in the water, and it became sweet, and the people had water to drink. But not only were the bitters uh, bitter waters made sweet, how else did God provide for his people? Look at Exodus 16 and verse 4. We see that God actually sent them food that fell right out of heaven onto earth. Look at 16 verse 4. Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. Wow! Wouldn't that be something? You go out every morning on your front lawn and there's all the food you need, right? Some of you are like, oh, it's going to get dirt on it, right? Back to me talking about you being spoiled, right? Just pick it up, wipe it off, and put it in your mouth, amen? We call that the five-minute rule, I guess. Not the five-second rule, the five-minute rule. But God sent them manna that fell right out of heaven and the word manna translates to what is this they came out what is this right and uh, they were there was no local grocery store for them to go to they're in a the desert God dropped the groceries out of the sky right there, ample for them to go pick up each and every day. And uh, they could turn that manna into all sorts of different uh, meals and um, uh, 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 breads and all kinds of things they could uh, convert it into. And so God uh, provided them all of the nutrients they needed. The bread fell right out of heaven. Uh, How else did God provide for the Israelites? look at chapter 17. Verse 5 and 6, we see that God gave them river, a river of water out of a flint rock. He actually would do this twice. We'll look at it here in 17, verse 5. The Bible says, "...and the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people, and take with thee of the elders of Israel, and thy rod wherewith thou smotest the river. Take in thine hand and go. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock." And there shall come water out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elder of Israel. Now I can hear someone uh, who is a skeptic uh, hearing a story about a rock giving forth water and then rolling their eyes and thinking, you Christians are so dumb if you believe that actually happened. Did you know that there is a rock uh, in the desert in that part of the world? Uh, where below that rock, it's split in half at the top, and down below, it is very clear that a river of water ran over the rocks below it. Gallo- tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of gallons of water, and there is no river anywhere near that rock. You, you can go on and you can see it. Uh, there's a docu- I've mentioned this before, there's a documentary on YouTube that shows... Where they crossed the Red Sea, and it shows um, uh, where the the, the uh, rivers of Mar, uh, the water of Mara would have been, and shows the rock that was split, and, and where the water would have run down, and shows Mount Horeb, and the top of it is still black from the fire of God existing on top of it. You can see this with your own physical eyes today. If you wanted to travel over there and look at it, it be a little dangerous to do. It is doable. Someone did it and documented it. Uh, God sent water out of a rock. To, to, to give His people what they needed, to give them their nourishment. Now, I'll just add this here. If I believe that God can create the heavens and earth out of nothing, surely I believe God can send water out of a rock if He so chooses. That is not a stretch. Amen? And for those of you that are roll your eyes and are skeptic and think I believe in a fairy tale, the Bible's nothing more than a fairy tale, you literally believe that the world came from nothing. You believe a dot no bigger than a period on the end of the page exploded and uh, everything came forth from that. And you believe that what water, uh, the rain fell on a rock and that somehow out of that soup crawled a couple of organisms that turned into uh, a tadpole. What's the old poem? I once knew a, a tadpole swimming in the sea now he, and now he is a doctor with a Ph.D. Um, that's just as crazy. Amen? Uh, that's more crazy. All right? It takes more faith to believe that to believe that God created the world in in six little days. Where there is a creation, there is a creator. Amen? 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 Amen. All right. So God uh, gave them water out of a rock. Next, uh, how did God provide? Look at chapter 17 and look at verse 8. God gave them victory against their enemies. 17 verse 8. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men and go out. "...fight with Amalek tomorrow. I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand." So Joshua did as Moses had said to him, and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. I bet they were and they took a stone and put it under him and he sat thereon. and Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun and Joshua discomfited or defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword and so God gave them victory against every enemy that came up against them as they traveled through the wilderness. I would say that the compassions of God weren't just showed to them uh, by sending them Moses and weren't just shown to them by delivering them out of bondage. God's blessings are being shown to them over and over and over again. One more here. Uh, uh, We're not going to read the the verses, but one more way God provided them was that he gave them moral and civil laws. He gave them moral and civil laws. Here you have Israel, the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. They have no constitution. They've got no uh, dietary laws. They've got no ceremonial laws. They've got no religious laws. Uh, They've got no moral laws. They've got nothing. And uh, you see what happens when a country does not have a good constitution. Look all over the world and you can see uh, uh, countries that rise and fall, rise and fall. And new constitutions are written and governments are overthrown. New constitutions are written. Listen, the US of A's got a lot of problems and has had a lot of problems. But uh, listen, we've got a document that has preserved us for... 230-something years. Amen? Praise God for it. Is it perfect? It's pretty close. That document is pretty close. And I praise God for it. I praise God for it. But Israel did not have that and how valuable that is. So from Exodus chapter 20 through Exodus chapter 31, God gave Moses not only the Ten Commandments in chapter 20, He gave them all of the rest of the laws they needed to be a legitimate nation that would stand the test of time. And so God had given them an abundance of compassion Water and food and uh, air conditioning and heating and deliverance from their enemies in Egypt, deliverance from their enemies that uh, encroach on them and try to overtake them, moral and civil laws. God had provided for them every single way possible. Number one, we see what the Lord gave. He gave compassion. Now, what do you think the Lord got? Number two, what the Lord got, He got complaining. He got complaining. You would think after all that... The Israelites would be thankful, but no, they were not thankful. They murmured and complained at every single turn. Letter A notice their cynical attitude. Their cynical attitude. Go back to chapter 14 with me in verse 10. And God, they had just watched God send 10 plagues on Egypt. They had watched God literally flip the light switch and turn off the lights. And utter darkness had fallen on Egypt during the daytime. Such darkness that you couldn't even see your own hand in front of your face. That is quite a miracle. That is, now listen, a lot of the others could be explained with, you know, locusts fly in and fly out of various regions. And, uh, you know, sometimes uh, uh, things happen that are crazy. And, and, and you can maybe explain things away. But not, not someone just flipping the light switch off and everything going black in the middle of the day. That's bizarre. And Moses had predicted each one of these things before they happened. Wow! Now you would think, after the Israelites had watched God do all that, watched God use Moses in such a powerful way, maybe they would trust God a little bit, but no, they didn't. They had a cynical attitude, they were skeptical. Look at verse 10, Exodus 14. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord, and they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? That is not what they said. You know what they said when Moses showed up? Thank goodness you're here. Please take us out of here. And he takes them out of there. We told you to leave us in Egypt and let us be slaves. No, that is not what you said. Look here. For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. You just watched God rain down terror on Egypt. And now you think God can't step up for you again? By the way, The cloud that appeared over them that lit up at night showed up before they got to the Red Sea and that cloud led them to the Red Sea. If they had any sort of observation skills, they could have looked up and saw that Moses didn't take them to the Red Sea. God did! God divides the Red Sea. They get victory. Now, how many of you are with me and say, if God did something like that for me, I would never doubt God the rest of my life. Be careful raising your hand. <laughs> they get miles away from the Red Sea and they go right back to it. Look at chapter 15. I guess this is the other side of the world. They got kilometers from the Red Sea outside of the U.S. I don't think anyone uses miles. We're at Exodus 15. That's right. We're right and everyone else is wrong. Amen? I'm teasing. Exodus 15, verse 23. And when they came to Mara. They uh, could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. Now, we skipped verse 24 a moment ago. Look at verse 24. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Moses is going to have his own tear in heaven, having to put up with these Egyptian or these uh, Israelites, and they're complaining. And so Moses takes a a tree, which by the way, if you want to make water sweet, you don't throw wood in it. Wood does not make water sweet. Wood makes water more bitter. Okay. He threw that in. You know why? Because God was saying, I can take something that's supposed to make water bitter and I can make it sweet. You're not giving Moses credit for this. You're giving God credit for this. He threw, threw it in and God made the water sweet. Lo and behold, they all had water to drink. Turn over to Numbers chapter 11. Now, uh, those of you that uh, maybe need help understanding the timeline here, you have Genesis, um, uh, you have Genesis and Exodus. The book of Exodus begins the uh, story of the Exodus, the exiting of Egypt. A good chunk of the book of Exodus is the law that God gave Moses. They're on the Mount of God or Mount Horeb. And uh, you get to chapter number 32, and the story picks back up to the end of Exodus. And then in your Bibles, you get to the book of Leviticus, and we get a break from the narrative. Leviticus gives us the Levitical law of how to do sacrifices, so more ceremonial laws. And then you get to the book of Leviticus. Numbers chapter 1 picks up where the end of Exodus left off. So uh, you get to the end of Exodus. You skip ahead to Numbers 1, and the story continues. All right, look at Numbers chapter 11. So the people have been eating manna for some time. Look at verse 4. And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? We remembered the fish, which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic we ate at Longhorn. Verse 6, But now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all besides this manna before our eyes. As we'll see later, this made God angry. This made God angry. God is dropping food out of heaven each and every day for them, and they're just getting sick of it real quick. They're murmuring about free food. They're complaining about free food. What did God give them? He gave them compassion. What did the Lord get back? He got back complaining. Exodus 17. Exodus 17. They're not only murmured at Lake Mara. they not only murmured about their free food. They murmured over a lack of water. Exodus 17, verse number 1. And all the congregations of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys according to the commandments of the Lord and pitched in Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. Now, I'm just paused there. You know what they should have done at this point? They should have gone to Moses and said, well, we watched God part the Red Sea and we watched God turn the waters of Mara sweet. What's God going to do next? Boy, I'm excited to see how God's going to do this again? But is that what they did? Nope. Look at verse 2. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And these, these people are entitled. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this? That thou hast brought us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst. I can imagine Moses calling Jethro and saying, Do you still need a shepherd? These people, I'm sick of these people. They're, they're, they're a, a, a accusatory. They're so cynical. They got a cynical attitude. They murmured over a lack of water. Look at Numbers chapter 13 and verse 30. So they finally make it to the brink of Canaan land. And it only took them a few months. In fact, the journey from Egypt, the path they took from Egypt to Kadesh Barnea, where they were going to cross over originally into the Promised Land, is about the distance from Detroit to Chicago. It's just about 300 miles. It's not real far. Walking with a group of a million people, it would take you a handful of months. They would end up spending 40 years in in, in the desert. But only took them a handful of months to get across. And they get there... And they've seen God do all of these miracles along the way. And Moses picks out 12 of the godliest men in Israel. He sends them in to spy out the land. And they come back to give a report. Look at verse number 30 of Numbers 13. And Caleb stood, stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land, which they had searched into the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it are men of a great stature. Here comes the exaggeration. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which... Come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. Yeah, sure you were. And so we were in their sight. Look at chapter 14, verse 1. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness? What a cynical attitude. And God had done miracle after miracle after miracle. God had poured out compassion after compassion after compassion. And it did not matter how grandiose, how, how sensational, how superlative the miracle was. The Israelites just were not going to believe in God. They had a cynical attitude. But not only... In the face of God's compassion, did they have a cynical attitude, letter B, let's look at their sinful actions, their sinful actions, because it wasn't just a complaining mouth. It wasn't just lips. It was a lifestyle. They chose sin in a grotesque way, sin that shattered the heart of their God you would think that there would be some sort of loyalty to the God who had broken them away from hard bondage. Nope. In short order, they were right back to their wicked ways. They had picked up, uh, 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 they had picked up while in slavery in Egypt. What were their sinful actions? Well, one of them was idolatry. Look at chapter 32, Exodus 32. I told you, 20 to chapter 31, Moses is up in Mount Horeb, the Mount of God. Uh, He's communing with God. He's getting the commandments from God. Moses is uh, writing all this down. The Ten Commandments uh, themselves were etched in stone, but the rest of it would have been pinned on parchment, most likely. Uh, uh, He's away for quite some time. And while he's up in the mount, uh, the people had promised Moses they would behave themselves. But while he was up in the mount, they decided that they no longer wanted to serve the Lord, they wanted to serve idols. Look at verse one, chapter thirty-two. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mountain, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we want not what is become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings, which were in their ears, and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand, and fashioned it with a graving tool. After he had made it a molten calf, and they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. They rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings and the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. They go back and get the golden calf that was worshipped in Egypt. The same golden calf that could not protect Egypt against Jehovah. And they have this golden calf made by hand and they set it up and they defy their God and they worship that idol. In a word, unbelievable. That is unbelievable. That after God had showed so much compassion to them and flexed so big and mighty in front of them, that not only would they murmur and complain at every turn about everything that just wasn't just right in their lives, they would then turn around and worship an idol. In the New Testament, we find that idolatry takes a different form. The Bible tells us in the epistles that idolatry is, or covetousness is idolatry. Covetousness is idolatry. Wanting things that we don't have. I believe American Christians are guilty of idolatry. It just has taken a different form. I'd be shocked to go to any of your homes and pull back a curtain and find idols that you bow down and worship. I'm not saying it doesn't ever happen or or hasn't ever happened. But in a Baptist church, I doubt very few of you or if any of you would ever do that. But we, we worship ourselves. We worship money. We worship nice clothes. We worship image. Uh, We worship uh, a nice car. We worship nice houses. Uh, We worship a job promotion. Uh, We worship fame. We worship power. We worship, we worship, we worship, but we don't worship God. And God says, I didn't deliver you out of Egypt. I delivered you from the slavery of sin. I didn't pull you through the Red Sea. I brought you through the blood of Christ. I did not save you so that you would go back and worship sin, that that you were enslaved to prior to being saved, I saved you so that you would worship me. How are they? How are they complaining? Yeah, listen, you can complain with more than just your lips. Complaining is not just something you do when you're griping about what you don't have. You can complain to God by the way you live your life. They're idolatry, but turn over to Numbers 25 and we see their immorality. Their immorality. Not only were they um, idolatrous, they were sexually immoral. Look at Numbers 25 and look at verse number 1. God calls the Christian to sexual purity. And I'll say that until I go to the grave, even if it puts me in jail. Premarital sex is a sin. Extramarital sex is a sin. Sexual relations are to belong between one man and one woman only. If that makes me hateful, then you can put whatever label you want to on me. That's what God says. God did not save you so that you could run around and and, and cozy up to some a group of people who want to celebrate sin and, and, and godlessness and iniquity. God saved you to live a lifestyle that is godly. Numbers 25, look at verse 1, And Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. And they called the people unto the sacrifice of their gods, and the people did eat and bowed down to their gods. And Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take all the heads of the people and hang them up before the Lord against the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. Moses said unto the judges of Israel, Slay ye every one his men that were joined unto Baal Peor. These boys uh, climbed in bed, climbed between the sheets with uh, the daughters of Moab. They committed uh, 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 acts of great sin and immorality. And God said, I'm not having it. Now, notice here that when a saved individual ends up in bed with a lost individual, that lost individual, at least in this passage, led them to worship their false gods. God has commanded Christians in 2 Corinthians that we are not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Yeah, but pastor, I love him. Yeah, but pastor, I love her. Yeah, but pastor, it just feels right. And God frowns upon that. God frowns upon that type of behavior. And you know what you're saying to God? You're saying to God, I don't trust your system and your way and your timing. I'm going to skip your timing and I'm going to do it my way. We need to learn to be content. We need to learn not to complain with either our lips or our lifestyle. What did the Lord give Israel? What does the Lord give us? Compassion. But what did the Lord get back? Complaining. Complaining. I've heard many a preacher say this, and, and I'm going to say it right here because I, it's just a great point. Truth is truth, and it needs to be spoken about every generation. I read through Exodus and Numbers, and I get, I get frustrated with the Israelites. What's wrong with you people? Why can't you figure this out? And then I look back over the history of my life and I say, okay. I'm guilty of the same thing. I'm just going to tell you, as a man who's been saved nearly 35 years, it'll be 35 years in just a few weeks, as a man who's been saved nearly 35 years, I have watched God do some miraculous things in my life. I have watched God do things that only the only explanation is divine. Yes, in my life and in the lives of others. And I look at God having parted my own Red Seas and given me water to drink when I was thirsty. And then I look at my, the way I live and how how much I can complain, how discontent I can be, how covetous I can become. And I hang my head and say, I'm just as guilty as Israel. God pours His compassion on me every single day. How dare I ever raise one complaint with the way I speak or the way I live? Amen. What the Lord gives us is compassion. But oftentimes what we give the Lord is complaining. Yes. What the Lord gave? Compassion. What the Lord got? Complaining. What the Lord wanted? Compliance. Amen. Compliance. He wants us to comply. He wants us to obey. He wants us not to fight Him and push against Him and and be self-willed and stubborn. He wants us to say, all to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. That word submit, that word submit is a word that a lot of women wince at and cringe at. But can I just tell you that the word submit goes far beyond women. That word submit is a word for every Christian to learn to live by. Submission ought to be a lifestyle for every one, man and woman alike, who are saved. We should learn to submit to the Lord our God. That word submit means to put down your hands and quit fighting. God was so through with Israel. And in Numbers, uh, we looked at the story there in Numbers, uh, where, uh, what chapter was that? Go back and look here. Numbers 13. Numbers 13 and 14, God was so through with Israel that He had Moses tell them, you all are not going in the promised land. You're going to wander around the wilderness for 40 years. And then everyone 20 and up, when they're dead, except for Joshua and Caleb, because they, they got it right, everyone else, 20 and up, you're going to wander around the wilderness and you're going to die. And everyone 20 and down, you're going. I'm going to raise up another generation who is going into the promised land. And so uh, uh, you all are going to need to learn to get it right. And the younger generation did. Those 20 and under passed through the Red Sea. And, and, and they saw the, the waters of Mara made sweet. And they saw the water pour. And they saw the, the, the presence of God on Mount Horeb. And they saw the manna that fell. And, and, and they saw uh, the, the enemies defeated. And they saw the laws of God given. And this generation would be raised up. And they would become Israel's greatest generation. They would learn to comply. They would learn to obey. Christian, God has called you to a work. Why should you comply? Because He has done so much for you. He brought you out of the bondage of sin and has given you salvation through the blood of Christ. He has provided you with great comfort living here in the U.S. of A., one of the richest regions of the world in the history of the world. He has taken bitter events that life has given you and made them into growth and much good in your life. He has provided you the living waters of the Holy Bible to quench your thirsty soul in this dry, sinful world. He has given you the bread of heaven to feed you and nourish you when others are starving for truth. He offers you victory over the enemies of the flesh, the world, and the devil. He has given you a moral law to show you when you are wrong and grace to cover you and help you to get right. What do we offer back to God? Oftentimes we complain about everything. At times we are no better than the Israelites in the wilderness. What will it take for you to give your heart to the Lord and obey Him? Not only when it's convenient and self-serving. Oh, we're all good at obeying the Lord when it's convenient, right? We're all good at obeying the Lord when it serves a cause. But how about we obey the Lord all the time? How about we obey the Lord even to our own hurt? How about we obey the Lord even if it means being impoverished? How about we obey the Lord even if it means we have to give up time, and money, and effort, and energy? What if we have to obey the Lord even if it costs us our very life? Is He worthy? has he done enough to earn the right to expect total compliance? You know, if you're in the military and you're told something by a commanding officer and you don't do it, there are severe consequences. You are expected total compliance. Total compliance. The day I got saved, I signed up to be in the Lord's army. My commanding officer expects total compliance. Go back to Joshua 24. Joshua 24. You know what I see with the Israelites that would take over the promised land? I see Israel's greatest generation that ever lived. Israel's greatest generation. It's been said about the World War II generation America that that was America's greatest generation and it is my opinion, as I've studied history, that that is probably true. That is true. This was Israel's greatest generation. They would go in and take over Jericho and defeat uh, the enemies that uh, held up their land, and God would work through them mightily. Look at verse number fifteen. Here, Joshua is getting ready to die. He's the oldest of that generation, and Caleb would have been the oldest too. And Joshua, the leader that God had selected to follow Moses, led them in, Uh, was their general, was their commanding officer, was their spiritual leader. He's getting ready to die. Look at verse 15, his last charge to this greatest generation. If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, make a choice. Choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Notice that word serve. Serve. You know, you can't serve unless you're going to get to work. A servant labors. A servant obeys. A servant takes orders from a superior. And a servant does so wholeheartedly and thoroughly. God wants letter A, a servant's heart. A servant's heart. God does not want your complaining. He wants your compliance. Look at verse 16. Joshua 24, look at verse 16. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. You see there? You see that? When you're busy serving other little g-gods, you are forsaking the Lord. Because you cannot serve God and mammon. You with me? You cannot serve God and serve yourself. They're conflicting interests. When you serve other gods, you forsake the Lord. When you serve the Lord, you forsake other gods. Look at verse 17. For the Lord, our God, He it is that brought us up. Here's the reasons why we're compliant. He it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt, or saved us, the American church from sin. "...from the house of bondage, and which did those great signs in our sight, and preserved us in all the way wherein we went, and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drave out from before us all the people, even the Amorites, which dwelt in the land. Therefore we will we, all, uh, will we also serve the Lord, for He is our God. Joshua said unto the people, "...Ye cannot serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins." If ye forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he will turn and do you hurt and consume you. After that, he hath done you good. There's that, there's that laying down the law that God offers if we neglect him. Verse 21, And the people said unto Joshua, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. And you know what this generation did? They served the Lord. In fact, you read Judges chapter 1, the very next chapter of the Bible, you find that they did serve the Lord. Then there there, there, there grew a generation that knew not the Lord, and they would turn their back on God. But this generation, to the grave, they said, The Lord is our Lord, and we will serve Him, and we will only serve Him. We will have a servant's heart. We will give it our all. Letter B, lastly, notice, a single-minded heart. A single-minded heart. Look at Joshua 24. And look at verse 22. And Joshua said unto the people, Ye are witnesses against yourself that ye have chosen you, the Lord, to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. Now therefore put away, said he, the strange gods which are among you, and incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. Put away those gods and serve only the God of Israel. I want to ask you all a question this morning. Are you serving God the way God wants you to serve Him? Are you serving God and God alone? Or are you serving God on Sundays and then the God of money on Monday, the God of family on Tuesday, fill in the blank? You see, we're to serve God. And God alone. He's the only one that's worthy. He's the only one that's worthy. What is the competing interest in your heart? Is it a friend? Is it your family? By the way, I'm all for family. I'm all for family. I love my family. But God's first. And God is so far first that family comes in second. What does God want from you? He wants, your, he wants your compliance. And He's earned your compliance. He's earned the right to ask for it. Let's not be that stubborn and stiff-necked and hard-hearted People that God has to punish and turn into a, some emotional wilderness to wander for the rest of our lives because He's done so much for us, but we just keep complaining and complaining and complaining by the way we live and the way we speak. Let's instead say, God, I see your hand of blessing in my life. It's present every day. My heart is going to be bent toward compliance. I will obey. I will serve. I will do what I'm told when I'm told to do it because you are worthy. I began the sermon this morning with a question, what would someone have to do in order to earn your full compliance? I don't know what that standard is for you, but I have to just say this. Whatever it is, he's done it. He's done it. Amen? He saved us all from hell, and he's called us to serve him. Let's do it. Let's have our heads bowed in nice closed this morning. Every head bowed. Every eye closed. Are you living a complaining lifestyle? You see, we don't just complain with our lips. We can complain with our life. When we choose sin over righteousness, we're telling God, you're not enough. Usually, if you have a complaining lifestyle, what you'll find is that you do a lot of complaining with that mouth of yours. Oh Lord, help us to be a people who bask in, recognize, emotionally appreciate your compassions. Help us to be a people that are deeply in love with you and obey you because our eyes are not on the negative in our lives, but all of the positives that you put there. Lord, put your finger in each of our hearts where we have a complaining spirit. Show it to us. Help us to be repentant of it. Help us to turn from it. Show us, Lord, where we're disobedient to you and rebellious and where we're not doing your work for our life the way you would want. And Lord, help us to humble ourselves and to follow through on that. Lord, do a work in our hearts this morning in Jesus' name.